good to see you all this morning. So it's my honor and privilege to uh, share with you, well, to continue in the book of John. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris. I'm uh, part of the, the teaching, preaching team and sort of all-around churchy guy. Um, I'm, uh, we're, we're continuing in, our, in uh, John 4, and uh, we have another story. This morning we're covering the, the, the story of Jesus healing the official's son. And a wonderful thing about going through a book like this, we're, we're taking some time and walking through the book of John. The wonderful thing about it for people like me, you know, over the years I've built up sort of my favorite kind of things to talk about as a, as a speaker. Um, but when you get assigned, okay, this is your part, I've got to, you know, I've got to go back and rethink and relearn and listen to God and see what he's saying. And so we're kind of learning this together. Um, this is not a passage I've ever preached on before. And so, so that's part of the exciting thing. The word of God, it's kind of, like, kind of like digging a well, right? You know, that if you dig, some places you dig down just at the surface and you get, and you get what you're looking for. In some places you need to dig a little further and dig a little further and further and further, but you will find water there. And that's, that's how I often approach uh, the Bible. You will find it. If you keep digging, and we're and we're told as as believers of the word that we need to dig and dig and dig and search for the truth like buried treasure. Um, so so let's jump in. This is a story about a miracle that Jesus did in Cana, uh, the same place where he did that turning water into wine thing, which made him quite popular, understandably. Um, and on the surface, it's about a healing. But John is looking, he's always looking for something more. What we know about John, the thesis statement of the book of John, the, what, what he says, what I'm trying to do here is help you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He says that in uh, John 20. And, and really everything he does, especially the miracle stories, they're all set up to drive us towards that, to help us believe. Um, so really every miracle is a sign in that way, and, and he uses that word, a sign. He'll, he'll refer this, to this miracle as a sign, and it's, a sign has a message. What's the message? When Jesus does a miracle, the message that, we, that the people were supposed to take and that we are supposed to take is, this guy right here, Jesus, is doing stuff that only God can do. You should probably listen to what he's saying, and that's the message, right? That's the message of a sign. This guy's doing something only God can do. Maybe you should listen to his words. Um, and... So we're just going to, oh yeah, well, I'll give you the background of the, the story. So Jesus in John 3, remember John 3, 16, uh, if you've ever watched an American football game, you, you know, it's probably posted somewhere, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, yeah, that, that verse, that was in the context of Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council in, in Jerusalem, John 3, now he, he takes off from Jerusalem, he goes north, and the way uh, if, uh, if, you gotta, if you can imagine a map, sorry, I don't have one, but uh, if Jerusalem and Judea is down here in Israel, there's this area called Samaria that's just north of it, uh, and then there's Galilee and the Lake of Galilee, and Jesus was, uh, was raised up here in a town called Nazareth in Galilee, and the normal way if you're trying to get from Jerusalem up to the Galilee area for Jews would be to go around Samaria because racism, right? That's really the real reason. Uh, so they would go around, not through, but Jesus was not a racist, so he decided he's gonna go straight through, 
uh, Samaria to end up in Nazareth, where he was headed, or Cana, which is right next to it. And uh, Evange covered the story of while Jesus was going through Nazareth, or sorry, going through Samaria, and he uh, and he had that the. The story at the beginning of John 4, this chapter, uh, was with the woman at the well who, um, she was a social outcast from the Samaritans who were social outcasts from Israel, and Jesus used her to start the revival, which really basically tells you all you need to know about our little divisions and hierarchies as people, right? Um, and so, so he, he spends a few days there. Uh, and now he's moving on north to, to, to Nazareth and Galilee, or Nazareth and Cana area. And that's where we find him here. So John 4, 43, if we could just put that one up. And I'll just read through the story. So after two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, uh, where he had made the water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man had heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to, her, said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him in verse 50, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, the servants, or his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked, him the, the, he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And he said to them, yesterday... At the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour, that would be about one o'clock in the afternoon probably. Uh, the father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to them, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. Now this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So in the prologue there, um, the verses uh, 43 to 45, we see that, that they knew about him. Um, they knew what he had done and that he was very welcome there, but it also at the same time says that he was not honored, which is kind of an interesting sort of interplay. We've got, he, they're welcoming him, but not honoring him. And I'll get to that a little bit later, um, but it, it's just sort of an interesting setup where they like what he's doing, but they're not honoring him. So, um, let's, but let's just jump into the story from the side of the, uh, the official. What do we know about him? Well. The word that's used there in Greek is basilikos. Where's Evange when you need him? Uh, it's, it, basilikos is, is a word that means uh, the royal person, royal man. And so that means there was only one king in the area. That would have been Herod Antipas. So he was probably a high up if, official in the court of Herod Antipas. So this is a person who is used to power and resources at his fingertips. You know, it's not just that he was some sort of low-down official. This, this, is, this is regal. So he's up there. Uh, and he's used to having his way. He's used to getting what he needs. And he finds himself in a situation where he's not getting his way and he's not getting what he needs. And sickness is this great equalizer, isn't it? We've just gone through a pandemic. Uh, it, hit the, it hit the first world, it hit everywhere. Uh, there were people who died everywhere. 
uh, it's this great equalizer where, where it doesn't really matter. It, I mean, it affects it, but you, you, you can be rich and powerful and still get hit and still be desperate. This is a classic desperate situation. My son is about to die. Could you please do something? He's got nothing left. There's nothing he can do. He was expecting that his son would be dead. Um, and this, I, I appreciate that in this story, that Jesus actually is reaching out to this guy who is powerful, because it can reach, um, it, what it says to me is that nobody is really that far from a desperate situation in your life, right? Life is still fragile. It doesn't take much. You could find, you could find yourself in dire straits today. I'm sorry to be a big downer here, but it's, it's reality. Here's, here's a guy who's got everything, Except now, all he cares about is, could you please help? So, um, medical science now has helped us a lot, but still, we're still in, it, you're still not that far from deep trouble. And what it means is that this drives us back to a dependence on God. And I think that's kind of the point here, putting this guy into the story. Uh, so, he hears about a miracle worker. He doesn't know a lot about Jesus. He just knows he's a miracle worker who turned water into wine and did some really cool stuff down in Jerusalem. Um, and, and he does this one thing that I'm gonna get, I'm gonna keep on going back to this uh, throughout the rest of the, my 25 minutes or whatever. Uh, he does something really smart. He makes that link, that key link of, hey, maybe if I go ask Jesus, he can do something. Okay, you got that? Hey, maybe if I go ask Jesus, he can do something. That is the key here, folks. Everything else comes out of that. This is something that I don't do enough. I know many Christians who we could all sort of agree, I don't do that enough. I need to make that link. Hey, if I just go talk to Jesus about this, maybe he can do something. And that's what gets the ball rolling. And without that, none of this would have happened. The family would not, they would have lost their son and they would never have come to a, salva a salvation in Jesus. Um, so, he, so this guy makes this link. He understands, hey, maybe Jesus can help me. He walks all day. It's a good seven or eight hour walk from Capernaum, which I said was at the tip of the Lake of Galilee over to Nazareth, Cana area. And uh, he goes up to Jesus and he's like, Okay, you got to come with me. You come with me to help because like, my son's about to die. And, uh, and Jesus just says to him, go, your son will live. And there's something that happens here. It's really striking. And I, and I spent time meditating on this and thinking about it. And it, isn't this really quite amazing though? Like this guy is desperate. He's just walked eight hours. He, know, he believes he might have missed, in his mind, he was going to be missing the death of his son. Right? And, and there's this turnaround where this guy, uh, Jesus, who doesn't even know, and you've got this regal, you know, this royal person, Basilicos, whatever he was, talking to a homeless preacher, and something happens in his mind. Jesus looks at him and says, go, your son will live, and he's like, okay. What? Would I respond like that? So I think there's something else going on under here. It doesn't talk about it in the text. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. I think there's, there's something else that God is granting this guy the ability to believe. So if uh, I just, I'm going to just pull out this um, Acts 16, 14. There's times in the Bible where you can see sort of behind this, 
behind the screen, right? You can you see what's going on uh, behind the scenes. And what's, what's going on uh, with this guy is that something switched in his heart. And how and why, I don't really know. And, uh, but I, but I'm, if we look in Acts 16, there was a story of Paul in uh, Philippi. And he's talking to somebody, just some random person there that he meets, some lady named Lydia. Starts telling her about Jesus. And, and it says uh, in, the, in the text, hold on. One second. So, uh, one who heard us was it? We got that up. Can we just put that up? Acts 16, 14, if we got it. Uh, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So you got this little, this little thing behind the scenes where God's going behind and granting the ability to respond. It takes that, right? Yeah? So that's a good thing to remember when you're talking to other people about, about God. or the, That ability to believe is something that God gives. Um, so I think that's what's going on here. But it's, it's really stunning. He just goes, okay. And he starts walking home. And then, he, then, like I say, it's a good seven or eight hour walk. The next day, he arrives there and, and he talks to the servants. And the servants say, yeah, he's, he's better now. What? Really? And they checked their, they, they compared notes. It turns out uh, that he started getting better at the same time that Jesus said, go, you're, you're, he's going to be fine. Uh, and then what happens next is that this guy believes in Jesus. And when, Paul, uh, when John says believes, what he means is he believes. He's now putting his faith in him. That, that means he's, uh, he's believing this is the son of God. This is the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for. Right, so uh, that's the that's where the story ends for us. Um, but but just think about that. That's a massive, massive miracle for this family. Right, uh, I've never personally been in it. I've never had a close family member like that in, uh, uh, near death or anything like that. But I did have a boss a couple of years ago who. Um, you know, I worked closely with him, and he got, he got uh, cancer. It was a nasty form of leukemia. He was in an age category that made it not good. Um, he went through an, a number of rounds of chemo. Uh, they didn't work, and things were not looking good. And he uh, ended up getting some sort of an uh, experimental treatment, which at least got him to the point where he could take a uh, bone marrow transplant, and then he, he, uh, that worked. And you should have seen the guy's face at the end when the, when the doctor said, you're cancer-free. When he came into work, he had bought a couple of big bottles of, of, of scotch to share with the entire company. I mean, this is a party, right? This is a big deal. He got his life back. This guy, this, this father, he was thankful. I mean, he was happy about this. This is a big deal. Um, and it all started with that, <laughs> maybe Jesus could help. So I just want to walk through this now, and pull out a pattern that I see in, throughout Scripture. It's everywhere in the Bible whenever somebody asks God for something. So this is Chris's handy-dandy, write it down on a sticky tab, stick it in your lunchbox, put it on your fridge, make a t-shirt out of it. Four points on how to ask God for something, all right? Number one, make that link. Maybe if I ask Jesus to help, something will be different. And just go ask. Right? Just go ask him. This guy, we have no reason to think he was devout in any way, uh, that he really knew much about God. All he knows is the guy turned water into wine, did some really cool tricks at, in Jerusalem. 
He doesn't know much about God. He's being pushed by desperation. I had a friend like this in, uh, in university. His name is Alan. All my stories are Alan at a university. Um, he, this guy, uh, he was a... We like to we like to have uh, breakfast a lot in the in the lunchroom there at, at residence, and we'd talk philosophy. He was a philosophy major, um, and uh, we'd go to uh, Christian slash atheist debates. He was a very intellectual guy. He he was always telling me just how dumb it was that I would believe, but he was a very respectful, kind guy. He just you know he really did not agree with me about God. But <laughs> one day, shouldn't be laughing, but his. His sister was really sick. And so he comes to me, Alan comes to me and says, Chris, could you pray for my sister? I'm like, what? I said, one, yes, I would love to pray for your sister. Two, you're a very mediocre atheist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so desperation will, you know, anyway, I think it showed him that, that he wasn't really all that unbelieving. Um, and I, I would love to, I'd love to meet up with him. Alan, if you're watching on YouTube, please contact me. Um, <laughs> and so uh, let, me, let me just make this as clear and as simple as possible. You may not be even a believer. You may think that this whole thing is bunk. You may be uh, 50 years into your walk of faith with God, asking him every day and knowing him personally. You may be guilty in the situation that you're asking him to help you with. Doesn't matter. You may be uh, smart, you might be dumb. Sorry, you might, you, you might be rich, you might be poor. However you see yourself, it doesn't matter. Just go ask him. I feel the Holy Spirit really pushing that. Can, can we just make that really our way of life, please? Just go ask him. I don't, I'm not sure we do that enough. Just go ask him. He's not judging you. He's not looking down on you. He just wants you to come to him and ask. Don't go through some saint. Don't, go, don't ask somebody else. Just go, Jesus, could you please? That's all. Jesus, could you please? Ask humbly, ask sincerely, ask often. Ask humbly, ask sincerely, ask often. So number two, that was number one. You got your sticky tabs ready. Um, number two, put God in charge of the situation. What do I mean by that? Trust and obey. Right? Trust and obey. So uh, we see that in verse 50. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Took Jesus at his word and departed. Put God in charge of the situation. Just do what he says. Just, you came to him asking for help, right? So put him in charge of the situation. So notice, do you notice the little switch here of who's telling who what to do? The guy comes to him. He's used to, you know, his royal position, talking to a homeless guy now. I can tell him what to do. And Jesus is not somebody you tell what to do. <laughs> so he just, he says, go, he'll be fine. He's in charge now. You asked him to help, he's in charge. Trust and obey. And the next thing, point three, Watch for what God does next. As you're asking, as you're trusting and obeying, watch for what he does. Sometimes you can miss this, right? Because he may not answer the way you thought he was going to answer. Trust and obey, and then now we're watching for what God does. How did he do it in this story? He just went home and his servants told him. Um, and step four here 
is we respond to what God has done by believing, by uh, praising, and by thanking him. This is just such a key part of it. And it's the thing uh, that I think God is most concerned about because this story was essentially set up by God to bring these people, this family, to faith. It's the response here that's key here. So, so we respond to him with believing, with thanksgiving, and with praise. Uh, so uh, just to walk through those again, first of all, just go ask him. Make that link. Maybe if I ask Jesus, he'll help me. Just go ask him. Could you please help? Number two, put him in charge. That means trust and obey. Number three, watch for what God does. And number four, respond to him with faith, praise, thanksgiving. Okay, so I want to just talk about this trickier part in this. Maybe it stood out to you as well when you, when you read the passage uh, with me. It said uh, in verse... Uh, 48, when this guy comes to him and says that his son is, is sick and about to die, Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. How this just seems what Gabe, my son, would call out of pocket. Like, what, 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 do, you, what do you mean? This guy's, this guy's pouring out his heart. His son's about to die. Unless you guys see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Doesn't seem very nice. Jesus, what's he doing? And, okay, I've been, I've been doing sermons for a while. Um, if you get to that point in your study when you're preparing a sermon and your conclusion is that Jesus wasn't, was doing something not very nice, he wasn't very loving, it's not Jesus, it's me. I've got to work this out, right? I, I, there's something I've missed, right? Uh, and what's going on here? First of all, he's not just talking to the guy. It's plural. He's saying, you people, Right? And he's, he's speaking to a prevailing problem that he's seeing. And remember I said that a prophet was, uh, Jesus said that a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. Uh, this is a problem throughout the book of John. Uh, in John 2, it says that Jesus did not entrust himself to the people because he knew what was in people. Um, and that's a tension that goes throughout the book. We'll see, I think, next week, Adrian will be, uh, will be speaking on, uh, on feeding of the 5,000. Uh, in that story, Jesus gave them fish, gave them bread, and then they wanted to make him king. And he ran off because he knew that they just liked his sandwiches. They, they didn't understand who he was. And what was the problem here was that they weren't making that link this, the the uh, miracles were a sign with a message. The message was, this guy's doing things that only God can do. You should probably listen to him, right? And, and they weren't linking it to who he was. They just really liked what he could do. But who he was was the key because it's your faith that brings you to salvation. And that's the key here. See, Jesus is, is looking at this situation that is a temporal suffering but what he's really after is that saving faith because that's eternal. So um, what he's finding, though, with these people is that, is that they have plenty of reason to believe who he is. But they are, in the, in the language of Romans 1, they're suppressing the truth. And, and uh, I think this is sort of a, it's a human thing. People do this all the time. I know I've done it in the past. See, skepticism is a good thing if you're using it to bring you to truth. If you're not accepting a, a, a weak answer, 
uh, skepticism can be a good thing. But skepticism becomes an old rag once you're using it to, to guard yourself from the truth, like these people were. They were skeptical about Jesus, uh, even though they now had enough reason to realize that he was the Son of God. So skepticism has a place in the sense that it can help you get to truth. But at some point, you go, wait a second, I've got enough. I need to believe now. And that's what, that jump was not happening with these people. But what, when Jesus responds to a story that's so tragic and you know, desperate like this, uh, about this guy whose son is about to die, and when he responds to, to it by looking at, you people will never believe unless you see a miracle. And, and what it tells me is that this is more important to Jesus than the healing. Um, and that is a, an eternal worldview, right? That, that's the worldview that says, this world is not all we have, there's also eternity. And that's a mind switch that we need to get. And that's when I, when I ran up against this and I'm going, what are you doing, Jesus? That's not very nice. That, that, that means I'm thinking temporally. I need to be thinking in terms of eternity as well. So let me just read this passage by Peter. Peter would have been one of the people in attendance at the time. Uh, he would watch this miracle. So at first Peter 1, 3 to 9, grab some water. You can see how there's this, there's this hierarchy of importance, right? There's, there's, there's things that happen now versus eternity. And, and Peter, uh, Peter's going to summarize this for us. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again through a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and fading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, run-on sentence. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes, though it is tested by fire, may, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So let me just, just go back to the story here. What is the ultimate result um, of this story? The guy came looking for uh, a miracle to save his son, right? So he goes and he gets his, his son back. Great, right? Was that the ultimate result of this? No. The ultimate result is that he and his family now have a saving faith that is eternal. That's the ultimate result of this. And I just want to challenge us. Can we just keep that in our hearts and minds so that we have a proper, proper perspective, like Peter has here, of, of the trials and difficulties that we go through now versus what they earn us for eternity your faith is the precious thing. That's what's really of value to Jesus. Your eternal faith, is that, that's the precious thing. So I want to um, say one last thing before we go into sort of a Q&A uh, discussion time. Uh, this is clearly a miracle 
story. It's a story about a healing, and I don't want to miss that and just talk about the, uh, the spiritual aspects of it. This is, this is a sign that was meant for the public, that, that uh, was meant to help everybody believe. It was also a huge amount of compassion shown by Jesus to this guy uh, in giving him his son back. And both of those things, that, that sign plus that compassion, we still need those, folks. We still need that from God. We still, we, still need, uh, we still need the power of God to do the mission. We still need the compassion of God to make it through our difficulties in life. So um, I think it's right that we continue to ask God to intervene in situations like this. It's right to ask for it and to expect it. See, Jesus healed in the Bible, and then, and then uh, in the book of Acts, the church healed uh, with, with, with outstanding miracles. I mean, at the end, Paul was, was, uh, he was, in, he was in house arrest, and he was sending handkerchiefs off to people and they would put it on whatever was ailing them and God would heal them. Not that the handkerchief was anything, it was just the power of God. Um, uh, that continued after the time of Jesus. And even into the book of James, where this is like another generation of Christians, they are told to make sure that the church is praying for the people who are sick and who, who need help, uh, who, who have medical problems or who, who, need, uh, who need a miracle or who need medical intervention. So, so in James 5, 13 to, to 15, maybe we can put that up. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, that, uh, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if, his, if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So I realize that there's all kinds of questions that we have about, you know, I've prayed for lots of people and they don't get, they don't get better. And I understand there's a lot of weight to those, to those questions. But I think what I want to do is just take a note, or just take a page from, from this official's notebook. Go back to step one. Remember step one? Step one was just go ask him. Can we do that? Is that okay? So... Uh, you know, I, I, know that, I know that many of us already have our own view on, on healing for today. Um, but but I, what I think is a good balanced view here for, for me right now is to say, how about we just go ask him? Can we just go ask God? And so um, God still does heal. I, uh, um, I, I'm thinking of a story, sort of the closest parallel that I have personally to this, although it's, you know, nothing near as dramatic. Um, a few years ago, uh, my daughter Bethany, you've probably seen her up on the stage here singing with me. Most people here probably know who I'm talking about. Bethany uh, got mono. Anybody here, show of hands, ever had mono? Mononucleosis? Yeah. It's really fun, right? Isn't it cool? Yeah, no, it's, it's weeks and weeks and weeks. You get a sore throat and fever, and it's just nasty, right? I, I've known people in university who missed an entire semester because of mono. It was horrible. And, and so Bethany is, is uh, she's in sec two at the time. She's lying on the couch and she's, I mean, amorphous, right? And, and, I'm, and I've been praying for her and I feel God speaking to me. You know, I've been praying for her because that's the right thing to do. I'm just asking God, could you please help? That's step one, right? Um, and, 
and I feel that God is, is saying, just bring her to church for a worship evening. We were doing these Sunday night uh, worship sessions here. Ryan would often lead them, sometimes I did. Uh, and, um, uh, and just in my heart, I was feeling God saying, just bring her to one of those. And that evening, well, I told Bethany, okay, tonight I'm gonna, we're, we're going to go off to the church. Oh. And uh, I mean, it's, it's not a fun, mono's not fun. So uh, I said, well, either you're going to walk over to the car, or I'm going to carry you, but we got to go. Oh, <laughs> poor girl. So uh, <laughs> we, we get in the car, we go over here, and we, we bring her down and just put her down on the, on the pew here. And, and this is after the worship set. And, uh, and there was a number of people, Marianne, Brian, there was uh, Barb Elvidge and a few others who just came down and just prayed for her for half an hour. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I wasn't desperate like this guy, but I care, you know? That's just no fun. Your kid's suffering. You got kids. You know what it's like. Um, and uh, the next morning, fever's gone, sore throat getting better, but within 24 hours, she's fine. That's pretty cool. You know, thank God for that. Yeah. Thanks. And all that to say is that um, you can still ask God to heal. Right, uh, and I don't like I said I don't want to want to get into all the theological why not and all this sort of stuff and there's a lot of baggage here but it's okay let's just go ask him and so at the end of the service today um, if you we, this is always the case but I'm just highlighting it today because of this story uh, if you would like somebody to just ask God with you if you would like to to have somebody just pray with you for something sickness or you need of another touch from God, something real. You really need something. Uh, we have a, a prayer team. We would love to have you come down here. Uh, this is in the Bible. We're supposed to do this stuff. Uh, we do do this stuff. We have some other good story, stories. Ted Sparks has shared a, a, a fantastic story that, with us before about, uh, about healing. God is still powerful. He's still real and he still cares. So we're just going to ask him with you. It's the right thing to do as a family of God, right? So please, if, if you would like prayer uh, at the end of the service for something like that, come on down. I've, I've told the team that there may be more than normal because we're talking about this. Uh, so that'd be great. Um, yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to go into just a Q&A discussion time and, and back into worship and then afterwards if you want to do that. So let me just pray for, for this. Lord, we just thank you for your compassion. We thank you for your power. We thank you that you're real Lord, we thank you for this body of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would teach us, God, to, to just come to you. Just teach us, Lord. Put that deep in our hearts just to come to you and ask you, Lord. We really need you, Lord. We need you, God. Amen. So welcome. Once again, now we invite you to ask your questions. You can text them in or you can raise your hand and Martin in the back will come to you. Um, he's got long legs, so it'll be really quick. You won't have to wait long. 
Um, so anybody got a question here in the sanctuary? So there's a, there's a question, um, and it has to do with asking and doubting. Like, what if, what, if God, what if I ask and God doesn't answer my prayer? What does that say about my relationship with God? So uh, faith does have a role in receiving from God. It's true. There's, um, there's a warning in the, in the book of James where he says uh, that somebody who asks for wisdom, you need to be believing and not doubting or else you're not going to receive anything. And so, so there is this play of faith. And um, it, it's not that there's nothing there. It's that, just, let's just go back to this story here for a second. This guy who came to Jesus for, for help what did he? What was he starting at? What did? What was his belief point? He really didn't have much at all. He he really didn't know anything about Jesus other than that there were some miracles that he could do. And so so uh, I think it's key to remember this is God, who loves you, who understands your weakness, who understands that you may not have got this all figured out yet, and that's perfectly fine. He's your father. He cares. And so, you, so I think that the, the key there is to pray like we have this example of a guy who brought uh, his son to Jesus. To, he, he was, uh, there was a, a, a demon involved that he needed cast out. I don't know what the symptoms were. Uh, and, and he says, if you could help, please. And Jesus looks at him and says, what do you mean, if I can? And, and the guy said something that I think might be helpful to the person asking this question. He prayed, he said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but could you help me with my unbelief? So now the unbelief is another thing you can ask him for help for, right? The list of things you can't help ask God for help for is very, very small, right? <laughs> so if you run into a situation, well, I don't even have the desire to follow God, ask him for that. I don't have the belief, ask him for that. He's just so helpful. He just wants to bless you with these things. I know in my own personal life, there are times when I don't really want to do something. And so I start with, Lord, help me to want to do this. Um, so I'm sure that that's a, a common feeling in this room. Another question that um, there is, uh, is that we forget to come back and, and praise and, and thank and um, how do we how do we start recording the miracles that God does in our day to day life and, and we just don't remember to go back? That's really the reason I tried to make it into four points of you know, ask him, put him in charge, watch for what he does, and then go back and talk to him, say thank you, Jesus. Praise him, believe. Let it build your faith. Uh, so the best way to do that is I'll be selling T-shirts with that, those four points on it in the lobby. No, I'm not going to be. Um, we, it's, it's, uh, there was a story, uh, maybe we're all thinking of the, the same story, when Jesus, uh, there were 10 people with leprosy who came up to him, and uh, he, they go through steps one, two, and three, right? So step one, they come and ask Jesus for help. Awesome. Jesus says, okay, go show yourself to the priest. God's in charge. That's step number two. Jesus is 
they're doing what Jesus said. They go, they're going to go show the priest. Number three, they watch for what God does. They all start celebrating on the way because they see that God ha has healed them. And only one out of the ten turns around, runs back to Jesus, falls down, worships him, and thanks him. And the response of Jesus was like, great, but where are the others? Why? Because, like I say, that's the important part. Leprosy was only for this lifetime. Saving faith, now that's eternal. Right? So that, let's, let's, uh, let's just remember this is a pattern. It starts off with you asking, it ends with you praising. So basically it's all about relationship. Because yeah. you, don't, you don't thank somebody you're not in a relationship with. So this story, I kinda, I've always kind of wondered... Was it set up by God, this whole situation, just to bring the guy to faith? I know that that's what happened to John 9, right? Remember John 9, there's the, there's the blind guy. It's an awesome story. I mean, it's got such an awesome plot twist. Go back and read it at some point. John 9, where this blind guy, uh, uh, the disciples are asking, so who sinned that this guy was going to be born blind? Was it him or his parents? It's like, he's born blind. What are you thinking, guys? Uh, and and he's, he answers... Neither. It was so that God would be glorified. What did he mean? Through the healing. But this guy ends up in the story, ends up falling at Jesus' feet, worshiping him. He got the salvation aspect as well as his eyesight. That was the key for him. Right? And in the end, I'm sure he would have, we can meet him when we're up there someday. We'll talk to him. Did you get a good deal out of the situation? Right? So, so let, let's just keep that in mind here. This is the key is to come back to him. Let it build your, your faith, your relationship, and thank him. So um, here's a question. How to respond to someone who says, where was your God? You prayed and prayed and asked and asked to no avail. Yeah, so why, why, did not God, why did God not heal? And there are so many people, we even told that in the, in the Gospels, there's so many people that Jesus did not heal. He didn't go to certain people. Uh, uh, the, we know of basically everybody who was alive, with the exception of Jesus, who was alive at the time, is now dead. Right? So there's, a, there's an aspect now of the kingdom is here and the kingdom is also not yet. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is also not yet. So uh, there, there are times when God does not heal. In fact, that's been most of my... I've prayed for a lot of people. I've only seen uh, certain times when God does a miraculous healing. Many, many times I've sensed his, his uh, presence with me. But I just want to take this and say, also going through a trial is by faith as well. So, so if you take, I was re just reading this last night, in Hebrews 11, there's this, uh, there's this, you know, the hall of fame of faith, right? And it's all these people who have, that, that uh, the writer of Hebrews is, is telling us about all these people who did all, all these exploits by faith. And it says uh, some of them escaped the sword um, by faith. And then, you know, they, were, they, were, uh, they received their dead back to them, they uh, they they uh, they persevered in their and and they received the things that God had promised them. But what really stood out to me was this: they escaped the sword. And then it turns a corner in Hebrews 11 and says, "And others died by the were put to death by the sword." It's like, wait a second, did by faith do you escape the sword or die by the sword? And 
both of them are done by faith in the sense that you are honoring God with your sacrifice or you're, or you're honoring God with your perseverance in a trial uh, as you keep your mind fixed on God and keep that temporal view. That is by faith, and so is also when God delivers you from it. They're both by faith. And this is another discussion that we can have, and if, if, if you want to continue this discussion offline, we can, we can talk about it more because there may be some particulars. Um, but that is certainly one aspect of it, is that God, God can de deliver you from a situation or deliver you in a situation by faith. So one way to record um, the big moments is it's easy. We, we are, um, they're kind of like seared in our memory. But there's all kinds of day-to-day -day things that happen um, that when you think back on them, you kind of go, wow, actually that, that was God acting on my behalf. And so if you haven't started the habit of keeping a journal or, you know, a series of post-its or however it works for you, um, do so. Uh, you'll be able to go back after a couple of months and see God's hand in your life. And you will have a lot to, to thank him about and praise him about and build your relationship. Um, sometimes we're just looking for the big moments, but they're not in the big moments. So here's a question. I thought you were supposed to thank Jesus. We even see a prayer answered in faith that will be answered because the Bible says to ask and you will receive and not wait to thank him until after we see our prayers answered. So basically, thank him before the prayer is answered. Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? You're saying to, to thank as part of your prayer of faith. Yes. Um, yeah, I think thanks means something different at that point. Thanks is not the gratitude of something that has already happened. Uh, but yes, I totally respect that. That's part of, uh, that, that can certainly be an expression of your faith that now you've, that trusting God to take care of the situation, I, I think that's a totally valid way to, to, to express your faith. Remember, remember uh, step two was to put God in charge. That means trust and obey. And thanking God for his involvement and, the, and, and uh, thanking that he will act on your behalf, I think is a totally fair and right way to show your trust uh, in, in, in God. So we've got one more question. What's the role of the Holy Spirit in healing and faith? What's the role of the Holy Spirit? Okay, there's two parts. One is healing and one of them is, is faith. Um, so I'm not sure if they're trying to differentiate between the, you know, the, the, in the Trinity you have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're, as, as New Testament believers, as the, the, we're in the church era now after, after the book of Acts, everything that we have is really, we know God by his spirit. We don't have the, the human form of Jesus here. Everything that we know of God is through the Bible and by his spirit uh, and what he's revealed. So, um, I, but I think maybe what they're getting at is, is does God speak to you and give you faith? Uh, practically in in real situations. So, so I there's like I mentioned there's there's two levels of, or three levels of faith that this guy went through. The first one was where he just he believes that uh, maybe if if I ask Jesus he can do something, and that's a general faith. That's that's a general thing where God uh, he just has this belief that God can do something. 
or that Jesus can do something. And that's for all of us. But what, what takes some special, what you really only get in prayer is those times when, uh, like, like in my case where, where I felt God was saying, I want you to go and bring Bethany to the, to the church that Sunday night. That was something by his spirit. He was pointing out specifically to me what he wanted me to do. And so what do I do? Step two, put God in charge and do what he says. And, and I think that's one of the, the things that, that Jesus does. He can give, give you, he can speak to you in many ways. That's another conversation we can have about how does God speak to you now in situations. Sometimes it's just an impression that he gives you. You feel it's right. Sometimes it's through a, a scripture that you feel coming back to you, a word that somebody else says. God could be leading you in all kinds of different ways. And, and, and uh, that's a walk that we, that we gain over time, the familiarity of knowing the Holy Spirit. And that's something that, uh, that, that is, is so crucial in these things when we're listening to, to God and we want to follow his voice. So I'm not sure if I'm answering the, the, your exact question, but, but this whole thing is a walk by the Holy Spirit. So, so you, you believe that generally God can do something. He may give you specific instructions. God by the Spirit is the one who heals. And then by his Spirit, you, you, you return in praise and thanksgiving. Amen. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for stirring our hearts and minds. Thank you for building up our faith. So just very simply walk over and ask you. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.